It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, you know, as many of you know here at Vox, we value diverse voices and we intentionally make space in our homilies for both, both voices within and outside our community. And so this morning we're honored uh, to have Rachel Clinton Chen uh, with us. I first uh, met her a couple years ago when she was speaking uh, at a story workshop, uh, which is put on by the Allender Center. And she's part of their teaching team, spent many years as a trauma practitioner. Um, and so just a meaningful time, um, just learning from her. And so she's worked a lot with Sam Lee as well, uh, who's also helped make the connection for her and Vox. And so uh, Rachel's joining us from Philly this morning. And so we're grateful she'll be opening up the scriptures. And so welcome, Rachel. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, as we start today, I want to join you and your community in a way that you lean into a homily. And I do have a question for you. And it's kind of a vulnerable one. So if you don't feel like answering in the comments, you don't have to. But I, I want to just ask, how do you come today? Um, especially as we anticipate leaning into Holy Week. So if you want to take a moment, just locate yourself, check in. If you feel like sharing in the chat, go for it. If it's just helpful to hold on to for yourself and your family, that as well too. It's good to see some of your responses. Well, I can certainly share how I come. Um, I come to this day thinking about Holy Week, weary and worn down, heartbroken, enraged, um, complicit and ashamed, afraid, and deeply ambivalent. I've never been one to shy away from telling the truth. And all of these things feel true to me. I also want to say I come really grateful and honored to be with you today. Um, to be quite honest with you, I think being invited to be sitting in these texts and thinking about this moment has actually been a life-saving, um, deeply encouraging process for me. Um, so I do also come hopeful, but a very sobered hope. Um, I can name a few of the reasons why, but my guess would be we all, um, it's not like they need to be named again and again and again, but let me do so just for clarity's sake. Uh, collectively, we are all still reeling from the very particular violence that's played out in the past couple of weeks, um, especially against Asian American and Pacific Islander bodies in the United States. It's not new. It's been happening and unfolding at a heightened rate um, this entire year. It's been enforced by rhetoric from the leaders of our nation. Um, and it is in some ways a, an amplification of harm that has been ongoing um, from our inception as a country. And it just joins the, um, the plethora of racialized violence that's playing out in our country. We're, in, we're reeling, we're still in the throes of a global pandemic um, that has only intensified our rampant systems of injustice, and we've lost so many people. And that's just the top of like what's happening with the pandemic, let alone all the ways it's required each and every one of us to tap into resilience we probably didn't even know that we have. We see signs of creation crying out as climate crisis brings extreme weather, which I know you were at the mercy of just a short while ago. We've come through this volatile election season, an insurrection fueled by Trump and carried out by white nationalists. And even this week, laws are being created 
to increase voter suppression against black and brown people. And laws are being written right now that attack the rights and livelihood of our LGBTQ plus kin. All of these realities are undergirded by these systems and principalities and powers and people, um, white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, you name it. These realities of empire that have shaped our country, our locatedness from its beginning and all done in the name of Jesus. Now, let me get a little closer to the dirt. Um, here in my home, um, these past weeks have felt deeply particular and embodied and trying to make space for the people I love most dearly, um, to receive care, to connect to communities that they need to connect to. I know my husband, the Reverend Michael Chen, actually this week started an Instagram um, to develop AAPI liturgy. And if that's something you want to check out, you can find it at aapi.liturgy you know, the at Instagram handle. Um, that's a way he's trying to put language to what it is to be in his body in this particular moment as a follower of Jesus. And I think you'd find it deeply encouraging. So when we come to Holy Week and we come to this liturgical location, which actually today is in the liturgical calendar, Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, you know, or perhaps maybe a little bit of both. Um, and I wanted to give you some sense of my location in that and why I'm starting at the climax. Um, you know, we know Palm Sunday actually starts this entry with Jesus and works through this week. And we actually get to this, this good Friday moment with Jesus that we read just a moment ago on good Friday. Um, but I'm starting there, um, because, I think it's important um, that we take a moment, especially in the current culture we're in with our aches and our suffering um, to do some unpacking of what is happening with Jesus on the cross and what is unfolding in this week. Um, many of us have been shaped to come to this week focused on individual atonement of sin. Uh, I can speak for myself as someone raised in the Southern Baptist Church, which right now feels very close to the violence that has played out when a young white man formed formed in the theology of the Southern Baptist Church has enacted such violence against particular people that has not happened in a vacuum. But that's only a part of what's happening in this week. The telos is love. I also come to this liturgical moment uh, in our Christian faith um, as a trauma specialist and a theologian, a practical theologian, a pastoral theologian located at the intersection of trauma and spiritual formation, especially as it relates to the cross and atonement. I spent a majority of my research during my MDiv program asking questions of God, mostly based on the dread I felt coming into Holy Week because it had kind of been set up as a time you really need to get into your sin. You need to feel the, the kind of, this is what you've done to Jesus. Um, focusing on his suffering, which I do think is important. Um, but I was coming to this text with these questions around domestic violence and what felt like when we were 
only focusing on one metaphor of atonement, um, which I would say from my church upbringing is true. I will not project that onto all of you. But this sense of penal substitutionary atonement, a big word for just God needs someone to take the place and the punishment for his wrath. And therefore, the son gives this sacrifice where this kind of rage can be enacted. And then once that's done, God will redeem and rescue and raise back to life. And if you've been under violence, under oppression, that really actually mirrors the cycle of violence pretty profoundly. So I come to this week, to this text with deep questions about what is happening on the cross and what are we most meant to encounter in this Jesus who is suffering this death on our behalf? And what does it mean that we're meant to be followers of Jesus, that we're meant to follow in this way of suffering? What is the suffering that we're called to? And how do we come to this place when it feels like we've been in a perpetual season of Holy Week? What might Jesus have for us in the midst of this place where we are weary, where maybe it feels like can't really muster up anything else. I want to take some time to open up this story, to find the God who groans in the space between Palm Sunday and Good Friday as we enter Holy Week in the midst of so much. And I want to say this, we come to Holy Week already as Easter people. And that gets tricky, right? Because again, so many of the ways we've been framed to think about resurrection and Easter is this kind of salvation for our individual sin that we will someday go to heaven and who cares about the here and now. And I just want to say we are Easter people who are being birthed anew by the groaning God in the labor pains of birthing a new reality and a new kind of family. That's part of what it means to be Easter people. So we come to this moment, we remember, we reflect in this moment as people who can hold, there's another part to this story. And I think it gives light to our suffering. Now, I have to say, not everyone is fond of the Gospel of Mark. But for me, Mark is one of my favorite Gospel writers. And I wanted to just say a few things that I think are important to know and remember. First of all, Mark is likely the first gospel written, and it probably socially located, the writer socially located among the oppressed. Um, Mark does not paint, or whoever wrote Mark, does not paint any person in a position of like power and privilege and authority in good light. It doesn't matter if they are leaders of the empire or if they are religious leaders. Um, Mark's central concern is this passion of Jesus. He understands the cross to be central to Jesus' identity as the Messiah. It is a gospel of hope for the suffering. It's not linear, but held in a dialectic. Um, Historians have kind of torn Mark to shreds for being like, this isn't very helpful. There's gaps in the narrative. It doesn't move in a linear way. As a person well acquainted with trauma and a trauma specialist, I love Mark for that. Because trauma is so fragmenting. There's a lot of silence. Like I said, there's gaps. And the ending of Mark's gospel, which actually happens very shortly after the passage we read, he doesn't um, extrapolate, you know, huge hopeful renderings of what happens in the resurrection. It is an ending that's an opening. 
And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And also women play a central role. Um, in many ways, this gospel is written for disciples and followers of Jesus to see more clearly what it means that Jesus is the Messiah and how central suffering is to his capacity to fulfill the role of the Messiah and to bring salvation. Um, so let's get into this story and the messianic hope of suffering. What does that mean? If I were to have started with the Palm Sunday text, we would be standing with the followers of Jesus. Um, you know, I will say this. Palm Sunday for me for a long time was always a little bit annoying. Like, almost like what, Jesus? You have to like ride in on this, this donkey, this colt to fulfill the prophecy. You know, it's like almost like um, a means to an end, a very utilitarian means to an end. And part of that's because I was being shaped to see this story from such an individualistic standpoint. Um, so it's kind of like the whole purpose is my individual salvation, your individual salvation. So like, this is kind of the stuff we have to get through. But these people shouting Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord would have been the people who had long awaited this Messiah. They would have had Isaiah 61 in their bones, this sense that Jesus announces his ministry in Luke, we see, as the one who has been anointed by the Spirit to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They would have been the ones with these stories passed down from generation to generation. A people who are under occupation by the Roman Empire and who are under the spiritual abuse and misuse of the authority of their very religious leaders who have kind of gotten in partnership with empire to have access to some power that they are lording over their people. They would have witnessed Jesus or heard stories of Jesus with Jairus and the bleeding woman that we see earlier in Mark. They would have encountered that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who is coming to bring down the powerful, not as an act of destruction, but as an act of liberation, an invitation to repentance. And the Jesus who would have lifted up the oppressed who would have bound up the brokenhearted for a form of restoration, again, liberation and this both and of a mighty powerful act of God to restore order, to undo the powers and principalities of this world, to bring exposure. These would be the people on Palm Sunday welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem with hope and anticipation that he would be establishing his rule and reign in their current political, socio-geographical, political, cultural locatedness. So you can imagine what kind of hope would be deferred when just less than a week later, the one they are saying and testifying with truth is the Messiah, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord is hanging on a cross, executed by state-sanctioned murder. Yeah. Just a few, like Jesus is basically going to, he's going to enter Jerusalem and he goes to the temple, at least in Mark's gospel. And we have this little apocalyptic moment, which just means an unveiling. 
where Jesus, you know, he he talks about how the temple is going to be torn down and rebuilt in three days. We have this analogy of the fig tree. We have the parable of the widow and her might. It's an exposing of systems um, that are so anti-God, so anti what the law and the prophets have actually been saying all along. And then we have these moments that play out all throughout Holy Week that I think are so important. Jesus goes to dinner at the house of Simon the leper. And all throughout this, we see the religious authorities, the scribes and Pharisees, who are the enemies of Jesus, who are deeply threatened by the ways he is wanting to upend, he's exposing, and wanting to upend the status quo. He is the embodiment of the invisible God. And so they're looking for ways to be able to condemn him. So he is, um, he's at this dinner and we have this beautiful moment because Mark is always allowing the women who are really in Mark's gospels, the more faithful disciples. And they are the more faithful disciples because they understand and see that Jesus is the Messiah and that he will be going to the cross. There is something they understand about the way in which he will suffer and join in solidarity with us, which is not too surprising when you think about women in this particular moment in their time. We have this woman who anoints, and in Mark's gospel, she's not named She is in many ways by Jesus called the first Christian because she actually understands his true identity. And we'll move there more in Mark 14 to this holy ritual and dinner with friends, beloved friends, and this kind of servant leadership model of washing of feet and the naming of truth. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear with the disciples. You get it? and you don't get it. And there are things that are gonna play out and I'm trying to help you. And then we move to the garden where Jesus Christ tears of blood, um, where he is abandoned by his friends and allies who are sleeping and silent at a moment when he needs them most. And then you know the story. And to be honest, I'm not gonna spend too much time going through the details of the story because we know them. And in many ways, not equitably in this collective space, but we are all suffering something, knowing something in our bodies of this journey of Jesus to the cross, that there is deep betrayal by Judas and by the religious leaders. Um, You know, Jesus is arrested in the garden. He is put on trial. Pilate is essentially like, I'll let you go because, you know, I can let a criminal go. And the people say, no crucify him. There's profound mockery and humiliation. This very, um, the image of this Palm Sunday juxtaposed with what's happening on this Friday. Um, The way Hosanna, the Messiah, the King of the Jews is being used to mock him. Um, And so I want to read just a little bit of what's playing out uh, in, in Mark 15. Um, just a little bit before what we already read. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, ah, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others. 
he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. So we see this humiliation, this mockery, um, this violence, and again, this execution, this form of execution that would have been so familiar, especially to the Jewish people. And we come to this moment where Jesus actually breathes his last. The darkness falls on the land. Jesus cries out this Actually, it's one of the most informal phrases he cries out, actually calling Abba, his father, God. Aloy, Aloy, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these bystanders, they hear this Aramaic and they think maybe he's calling out to Elijah. And then Jesus gives a loud cry and breathes his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then we have this image of the centurion um, who actually understands that this is the son of God. And so we have this moment, a profound God forsakenness, Jesus, the one who is the son, who is this divine embodiment of the father here on earth is tasting something that many of us could say we might feel um, in this particular moment feels most true. And then we have this powerful phrase, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this is something really important to hold as we go into this week, that the work of Jesus, the suffering Messiah on the cross is breaking down all divisions between people and the holy of holies, this mystery of God, the holy one. And I think for many of us, this has mostly been articulated in that the veil has been torn and we as individuals have access to God in a new way, which is true. It is part of the atoning work on the cross. But to miss that it's also for Gentile readers who would be hearing Mark's gospel saying there's access to this God this Messiah, this Holy One who comes to save. So this is a moment of God birthing something new. And not just for a far off day, but for the here and now, for the people who will need to know, this is not the reality you long for us to have, God. Now, they will be a people in Mark's day who will be extremely persecuted by the empire for how dangerous they are in this division ceasing of the veil, in the ways in which they will live out the mission of God. They will live out their identity as a new family. It's so deeply threatening to empire. So they will be under great persecution. But they, they face that persecution with a God who has joined them in solidarity to expose and to actually make a mockery of the powers of this world. And we know on the other side of Easter that we are gifted the spirit of God who helps us in our own groaning to birth these new realities. So as we come to this Holy Week, I'm wondering if instead of feeling like you need to muster up work, that you need to try to put on something 
in the midst of exhaustion, if you can simply welcome Jesus into your ache, into your story, because in many ways, that's the work of Holy Week as well, that Jesus is entering our human experience in a profound solidarity, not just passively, but to take on our suffering with us, to enter it in fullness. So when we think about Jesus interceding on our behalf in whatever dimension that's happening, we know the one who intercedes for us intercedes with the full understanding of what Jesus is interceding for. So I'm wondering this week, if you can join this groaning work of the birthing God through lament, through repentance, through undergoing, through a deep rest that the work of Jesus on the cross has accomplished what we read in Romans 8, 28, that there is nothing, nothing on this earth, not life, nor death, nor powers, nor principalities, nor angels, nor demons, nor any created thing that can separate us from the love of God because of the work of the Messiah, the Holy One. So where do you find yourself in the story? Where do you need to encounter the solidarity of the Holy One? Where do you need to let Jesus hold your face and call you to relinquish powers you were never meant for that keep you from the kingdom of God, that keep you from the full humanity that we are restored to and given in Jesus, in the work of God, through the Spirit? I'm not saying there's not massive repentance that might go into this week, but do you know it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance? So will you enter the story and will you let Jesus enter your stories, your ache, and reveal to you ways he is with you? Do you have the bitter taste of the agony of hope deferred, like the people who would be laying down palms for the Messiah who has come to save? And they need that salvation to happen now. Do you have experience of religious authorities? We all do right now. Um, Who have power and privilege, who are really bringing death and violence and, and amplifying it to maintain the status quo. Do you know something of the wisdom and the insight of the woman who anoints Jesus? Are you like the disciples who are beloved and see in part, but realize you've missed so much of the story? And you are feeling that agony of betrayal, the ways you betrayed, the ways you didn't understand, the ways in which you feel displaced because the gospel is being reoriented in a new way for you. Do you feel grieved to the point of tears of blood and you've been abandoned by allies who are silent and sleeping? Have you been betrayed by friends or leaders who you trusted? Do you feel accused, mocked, humiliated, degraded, beaten? Do you know something? of being under the oppression of state-sanctioned violence and murder? Do you know something of God-forsakenness and the feeling of silence and the agony of the quiet? Can you let Jesus enter your ache in the midst of this week? Can you let the spirit groan with language too deep for words when you don't know how to pray? The veil is torn. So that would be my invitation to you. Can you look for Jesus in your own story?
to the God who groans in labor pains, to the son who suffers hope in solidarity with us, to the spirit who births life in unexpected places. Thanks be to God.